as a church coming through Deuteronomy together. We made it to the Ten Commandments. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the Second Commandment. Before we read this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us your word. And God, we pray that you would help us now to see. Lord, get, open our eyes to see wondrous things from your law. Father, without the revelation of your word, God, we, we are blind in this life. So God, I pray that you, would, that you would guide us by your truth this morning. Make us humble and submissive to the truth, to your commands, to your word. Make us those that tremble at your word. We love you, Lord, and we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 5, look at verse 8. We're just going to read this second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's the word of God. Now what I want us to do this morning is take this second commandment and just ask several questions of the text, several questions of, uh, of this commandment, okay? And if you've got a study guide there, you'll see that study guide to help guide you through these questions. So first question, what is an image? Because it says here, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So what is an image? Verse 8 says it's something that's formed in the likeness of several things. It could be in the likeness of something in heaven or in the likeness of something on earth or in the likeness of something in the water. In other words, in all of creation, all of God's creation, something formed like that is an image. Deuteronomy 27 verse 15 says this, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. So an image that you can see carved of wood or made of cast metal, something like this. It says, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman. That's what an image is. It's a thing made by human hands. A thing made by the hands of a craftsman, it says. And if you think about this, the, the pagans all around them, 
and especially in the land of Canaan where Israel is headed right now, this is the way they worship their gods, these images. They would have these idols, these images, these carved or cast metal images of their gods. This is the way the pagans all around them were worshiping. This is something you could see. I can see this image now. This represents my God. It's something I can put my eyes on. It's tangible. I can see this image. This is what an image is. Okay. Second question. What is forbidden in the second commandment? So in this second commandment, what's being forbidden here? And the plain meaning, that this obviously what's here, we are forbidden to make these images. And it also says don't bow down to them or serve them. Okay, so this, this prohibition against making images has a religious bent. It's images to your God or images of your God. Don't do that, he says. It has a religious bent. Don't bow down. Don't serve these images like the nations all around you do. That's the way Israel would have understood this command. Like the nations all around you worship these pagan gods. You don't, you don't do it the same way. Okay? Now, to understand what's being forbidden in the second commandment, I think it's helpful to contrast the first commandment and the second commandment. To understand how these two commandments, the first and the second, are connected. Now, they are certainly connected. They both forbid the worship of false gods. Think about it. Commandment number one. Have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, don't make images and bow down to them and serve them. So, so have no other gods. Don't, have, don't worship images to false gods. There's a connection here between the first and the second commandment. The second commandment in a lot of ways could be wrapped up in the first commandment. Have no other gods before me, number one. Number two, don't make images to these false gods. But I think it's helpful to think through how the second commandment is distinct from the first commandment. How is the second commandment different from the first commandment? And it's in this way. The second commandment not only forbids the worship of images to false gods, but it also forbids the making of images to the one true God. Do you understand that distinction? So have no other gods before me. That's commandment one. And, and in that is this command. Don't make images. Don't worship images to false gods. But also listen to this distinction. Don't make images, this is in the second commandment here, to the one true God. They make images to their gods. You don't make images to the one true God. So the first command forbids the worship of false gods. Second command forbids making images to the one true God. This tells us that the first, the first command, it guides us in who we should worship. No other gods before me. It guides us in who we should worship. And the second command guides us in how we should work, worship. Not like the pagans. Not making these images. So commandment one, who you should worship. Commandment number two that we're on today, God's how we should worship. Don't worship me with these images like they do. Okay? So this tells us that it matters to God that he's worshipped and he alone. And it matters to God in what way he's worshipped. It matters that he's worshipped and it, and it matters to him, to God, how he's worshipped. 
It's the first commandment and the second commandment. So what's being forbidden here in the second commandment? Here's where we're going to focus our attention. What's being forbidden in the second commandment? Don't make images, not even of the one true God. Don't bow down to images. Don't serve images. Even if they're set up as representations of the one true God of Yahweh, don't do that. Even if they're to Him, don't make these images. Don't bow down to them. Third question. Why would Israel, or, or any of us for that matter, why would they feel tempted, or why would we feel tempted, or they feel tempted to worship, or, or to, excuse me, to make these images of the one true God? So think about all that God has done for them, the ways that He's shown Himself to them and revealed Himself to them. Why would they feel tempted to make images to the one true God? Now, if you have trouble, if you, you know, if you sort of have trouble relating with this command, like maybe, maybe you think, Man, I never feel tempted to go grab me an image and, you know, set up a carved image or set up a cast metal image. I never feel tempted to make an image uh, to, to my God. If that's you and so you have trouble relating with this, answering this question can be really, really helpful for you. Why would they feel tempted to make images to the one true God? And if you can get underneath the reason they would feel this temptation, it's actually similar temptations to you as well, to all of us. So let's answer that question. Why would Israel feel tempted to make these images to the one true God? Now I'll give you two reasons they would feel this temptation. Number one, a desire to be like the world. What did they see all around them? They worship their gods. They make these images. They worship these gods. They got this idol set up. This carved image over here. This cast metal image over here. This is the way that the people around me, the world around me, worships their god. This is the way we should worship our god. It's a desire to be like the world. To worship like everybody else is worshiping. Turn with me real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12. I want to read a couple passages here. Twelve verse one. These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on earth. So, so think about what he's saying there. Here's the scripture. Here's the law. Here's the statutes, the rules. Here's the word of God that you live by. So first thing he does, puts the word of God in front of him. Verse 2. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with the fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. God cares about how we worship Him. 
Tear down those images. You shall not worship God in that way. How should you worship God? Here's my statutes and rules. Here's the word. You should not worship the Lord your God in that way. Look down at verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go into to dispossess, so this is the world around them, the nations around them, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they, have destroyed, after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I also might do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God, listen, in that way. Don't desire to be like the world. Don't look up at the nations and try to worship God in that way. That's the temptation here. To be like the world in the way that they worship. Don't make images like they do. Keep reading. For every abominable abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Listen, it goes right back to the word again. Just like we began in verse 1 about the statutes, the rules of the word, it goes right back to it. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. God cares about not just that you worship him and him alone, but how you worship him. And we don't worship him in the way that the nations do, in the way that the pagans do, in the ways of the world. We don't worship him like that. He's prescribed in his word the way that we worship him. Don't add to it, he says here, and don't take away from it. Don't make images to our God. Don't worship like the world. So how should, what, what should God how the people of God worship. Our own imagination shouldn't guide us, right? God's word says there's a way that seems right to us. It seems right, but it leads to death. So we don't go by our own imagination. We, we, don't, we don't look at the world around us. That's what Deuteronomy is telling us. Don't look up at the way they do it. We don't worship in that way. Leviticus 18.3 tells us that. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, from where you came, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you, you shall not do. But you shall, keep, you shall keep my statutes and my rules. He's pointing them to the word of God. This is how we know how to worship our God. By the scriptures, by the statutes, by his word. Not by looking at the world. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So why would Israel feel tempted to make images to Yahweh, to the one true God? One a desire to be like the world around them. That's a temptation that's, I think we obviously should be beware of. A desire to be like the world around us. Number two, a desire to live by sight. And we need to be aware of this temptation as well. A desire to live by sight. Images are for seeing. To make an image is to make something I can see. I can get my eyes on this thing. It's dumbing down the indescribable God into something more manageable. Something I can get my eyes on. Beware of this. Beware of this. 
Maybe, maybe you don't have a, a physical image that you've dumbed God down into to make him more manageable. But maybe you've got an image of God in your head that's not the image presented to us in the Bible. Don't dumb him down. We should feel warned about this. And so there's this desire to live by sight. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to see God. We're going to come back to that later. There's nothing wrong with a desire to see God. And in fact, there's times throughout the scriptures where God reveals himself to their sight. Think about Exodus 33, Moses. God, show me your glory. And he hides him in the cleft of the rock and he allows him to see a piece of his glory. But God has ordained at this time that we live not by sight, but that we live by faith. We live not by sight, but by faith. Now, if you think about Deuteronomy 4, verse 15 and 16, right before this, look at it with me. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form, what did they see when God revealed himself to them? What did they see? He says, you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of created things. So God says here, I showed you no form when I, when I revealed myself to you. I didn't show you an image. I didn't show you a form. Therefore, don't make one. Therefore, don't make an image. How did I reveal? How did God reveal himself? I revealed myself to you, not with a form, not with an image for you to see, but I revealed myself to you with words. You walk by, by faith in this, in this time period, not by sight. Now, a day will come when faith gives way to sight. David said this in Psalm 17, verse 15. David said, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied in your likeness. A day's coming when faith gives way to sight, but where you're at right now, we don't live by sight, we live by faith. No form, no image, not sight, but by faith in our God, faith in His words. So why would they feel tempted to make images? The desire to be like the world, number one. Number two, the desire to live by sight when God has called them to live by faith in his word. Now, I want you to try to hear, try to, try to hear an argument that could come out of this. Maybe some people would make this argument. Okay, here it is. Making images, understand why, you know, making images to false gods, understand why that's off, right? Don't put no other gods before me. Don't worship other gods. Understand that. But why would it be wrong to make an image to the one true God? It's to Him. Could you imagine somebody making that argument? I just want, I just want to make an image to, to represent the God of the Bible. You know, I'm not going to worship the image. I'm not going to serve the, Im the image. It's just, it's just going, to, it's going to be something I can see to remind me of the one true God. And people can rally around this thing that you can see to worship the one true God. And you can hear somebody making that, that argument. Why would this be wrong to make an image to represent the one true God? What would be the problem with that? So that brings us to our next question. And the next question is this. Why is it forbidden 
to make images to the one true God. So let's answer that question. Why are we forbidden to make images to the one true God? And I want to give you three reasons here. Okay? Number one, human depravity makes us terrible image makers. Human depravity makes us terrible image makers. You need to understand this. Our depravity and sin, it affects the way we view God. Who is he? What's he like? Right now, we are in a fight to view God rightly. We're, we're striving to, to talk about God and describe him correctly. Okay, we're in a fight for that right now. And if we try to make an image of the creator with, with created things, we're going to botch this thing. You understand that? We, our, the, the depraved nature, our sinful nature, makes it to where we don't view him rightly. We're, we're not going to naturally see him rightly. We have to fight to see God rightly as he's revealed in his word. We try to grab an image and draw a picture of him with an image, we're going to botch it. We're going to misrepresent the God of glory. If we make an image, we will misrepresent what he's like. Listen to this. This is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 29. Being then God's offspring, now he's speaking about humans as God's offspring, as humans, as, as Genesis 1 says, we are image bearers of God. Okay? We, we were made in the image of God, Genesis 1. So we are supposed to, humans are image bearers of God. Being then God's offspring, we, so, so if that's, if we're the image of God, listen, listen to the argument. We ought not to think, how do you think about God? We ought not to think that the divine, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So if, if we make this image, we're going to misre misrepresent God. That's the argument here, that that if, if we're image bearers of God, we shouldn't think that God's like this created stuff, this dead stuff. He's a living God, not a dead God that can't see or can't hear or can't act. Now, I do think it's ironic to think about that, that we humans are actually what Genesis 1 calls us image bearers of God. We, we were made in the image of God. And if, if the image bearers of God try to make an image of God, it's not going to go well. It's not going to represent him well. I, I thought of a silly picture of this. Is everybody talks about my son Caleb as my spitting image. You see pictures of me as a kid? You see pictures of him? He looks just like me. He's my, Caleb is my spitting image, okay? So he's an image of me. And when Caleb was really young, he used to draw pictures of me. It'd be, a, you know, a head with just legs coming straight out the head. It was rough. It didn't look nothing like me. And, and you understand, that's what we're like. We are image bearers of God. And when we try to, in foolishness, try to grab an image to represent him, it doesn't look like him. We're going to misrepresent our God. And not only that, we have this sinfully depraved nature that will take that misrepresentation of God. And what will we do? We'll bow down to that thing and begin serving it eventually. That's why it says don't make the image and don't bow down to it and don't serve it. 
in, our, in the second command. You remember that happened. You remember, you remember the, the, the Israelites were told to make that, that, um, that, ser- that bronze serpent when they were being hit, uh, bit by the, the poisonous snakes and they were dying, they said, if you get bit, look to that bronze servant and, you, and you'll live. What did the people of God eventually do with that? You read several chapters later in the Old Testament and that bronze serpent that they made was just meant to be a help to them. Next thing you know, they named that thing the Houston and they started bowing down and serving it. So don't make images. Our human depravity will make it, we will misrepresent God if we try to do that and we'll begin to serve those misrepresentations. So summary of that first point, we are forbidden to make images of God because our depravity will cause us to misrepresent Him and eventually bow down and worship our misrepresentations. Now, number two, why, so we're answering the question, why are we forbidden to make images to the one true God? They're to Him. Number one, we wouldn't do it well. Number two, God's glory makes Him hard to image. Do you know that about him? He is glorious. And and he's so glorious. He's so holy. How will you image this God? This was the language of Isaiah. He's holy. There's none like him. Who, Who with what or who will you compare God? Therefore, don't make images to him. Listen to this. I I want to read this to you. You don't have to flip there. This is Isaiah chapter 40. I want to read verse 18, maybe to verse 26. It's hard to know where to stop here. Listen to Isaiah talking like this. God is too glorious, and he's so glorious, he's hard to image. Verse 18. To to whom then will you liken God? That's a good question. Or, Or what likeness compare with him? Next verse. An idol... A craftsman cast it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast it and cast for it silver chains. He's too impoverished for, for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. The thing can't even move. He says, with what will you compare God? He's so glorious, he's so holy, there's none like him. What are you going to compare to him? He's so hard to image. An idol that can't move? The next line says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Glorious, transcendent God is his inhabitants, the earth, the earth is his footstool, his inhabitants are like grasshoppers. This is who our God is. How are you gonna how are you gonna image the uncreated one? He says it again, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be likened, says the Holy One. To whom to whom then will you compare me? Can you imagine if I took if I Gave all the men in the room uh, pencil colors and a piece of paper and said, here, I want you to draw a picture. I want you to capture the the beauty of your wife outside and in. You wouldn't even give it a shot. 
You know, I, I put pen, you know, you would put pencil to paper, colors to paper, and you can't image, you can't get the image, and you, you can't make it work because, because her, her, her beauty inside and out is beyond what you can put on the paper. And, that, and that's, for, that's, for your, that's for your created wife. What about the uncreated one? How will you grab created things to image the uncreated one? How will you do it? Summary of this point, we're forbidden to make images of God because He's so glorious, so holy, so magnificent that images would fall miserably short. Anything we could come up with would fall miserably short. Now, number three, now we're answering the question, why are we forbidden to make images to the one true God? Number three, because the image of God, the image of God, needs no rivals. Now, maybe I should say the image of God has no rivals. And I need to explain this, okay? Lean in and understand what I'm saying here. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. So, so God the Son who created all things takes on human flesh. The invisible God takes on human flesh. You can see Him. He's incarnate. He's He's in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is called in the Bible the image of God. He's called, Jesus is called the image of the invisible God. So to make images to God would be to make rivals to the image of God. So don't do that. Why not make these images to the one true God? Because it's to, it's to make rivals for what God has set up as the, in, the, the image of the invisible God. Now, I want us to just consider that for a minute. So um, this is sort of a broad view of, of, you know, sort of Genesis to Revelation sort of mindset. I want us to think about, uh, think about this whole imaging, this, this God imaging system that God has set up. He's already set up a system. Doesn't need your help, doesn't need my, my help. He set up a, an imaging system here, okay? And I want you to try to understand this. Genesis chapter 1, he makes humans in his image, in his likeness. Genesis 1, remember that? In Genesis 1, he says, be fruitful, fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, fill the whole planet with my image. Makes humans in his image and then says, fill the whole earth with my image. Got that? Now, humans rebel against God, sin against God. So now we're, we're still in his image, but it's a fallen image. It's a, it's a marred image of God according to the scriptures. So, so created an image of God, fill the earth with my image. Sin enters into the world and death through sin. And therefore this marred image is fallen image of God. And through this humanity, God promises he's going to bring about another one a better than Adam, a Savior, a Lord, a Messiah. is going to bring out another one, and that one that's born is Christ Jesus the Lord, and he's called the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's called Jesus Christ, the image of God. Uh, Jesus, remember they asked Jesus, Jesus, can we, let us see the Father, let us see the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
He says, if you've not seen me, Jesus says, if you've not seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, that's not, he's, not teaching, he's not teaching something you know, heretical that the Son and the Father are one person. We know that from the Scriptures they're not. But what is he teaching there? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of God. Jesus comes. And, that, and think about this. That mandate from Genesis 1, created in my image, fill the earth, fill the earth with my image, is happening through Jesus. Do you see that? He's born as the image of the invisible God, God in the flesh. And, and through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, he's saving lost souls out of this world. And as he's saving them, what is he doing to them? R Romans 8, 29, right? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And when it's all said and done in the final state, we're going to be glorified. No longer a marred image of God. Okay? But, but as God has designed perfectly in his image, and then what does Revelation 22 say at the, at the very end? What does it say? Best, best five words in the Bible, they will see his face. We'll dwell with him as unmarred images of God and, and what else? We will see the image of the invisible God. We'll see him face to face. We'll know him. So here's the summary. Second commandment. Don't make images. Don't make images. Don't do that. Why? Because God is handling all that just fine without us. Don't make a rival to the image of the invisible God that one day we'll see face to face. Now, next question. How seriously should you take the second commandment and all of its implications? How seriously should you take this commandment? We'll look at it right here in Deuteronomy 5. Verse 9, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for. So here it is. What comes after the for tells you you should take this very seriously. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now we see how seriously should we take the second commandment, all its implications and uh, everything that we're saying. How, how, how should we take it? Very seriously. There's a threat here and there's a sweet encouragement here. There's a threat and there's a sweet encouragement. It starts off by saying that God is a jealous God. For I am a the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now, he's not jealous of anything, but he's jealous for something. That's the difference. He's not jealous of idols as if idols are anything. That's all through the, the scriptures. Idols are nothing. He's not looking at idols going, I'm jealous of that. It's not that. But he's jealous for something. He's jealous for the worship and the affections of his people. Think about this verse. Exodus 34 verse 14 says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. He's jealous for your worship. Think about our passage. Don't make images. Don't make images to God. 
Because he's jealous for true worship. In other words, God is not like, he's not like an insecure man who's jealous of other men. Okay? He's like a good husband that's jealous for the love of his wife, the love of his bride. So summary here, take this command seriously because God is jealous for your worship. Now the threat here, it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. It's a threat there. Take this seriously because look at the threat. Okay. Now let's do a little what it doesn't mean, what it does mean. What it doesn't mean, what it does mean. Now, what it does not mean, this does not mean that children get punished for their father's sin. That's clear even in the same book. L listen to this. I'm going to try to read it, uh, get there quickly so you don't have to flip there. But Deuteronomy 24, verse 16 says this. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one should be put to death for his own sins. So this isn't contradicting. It can't be teaching that. And in case that doesn't settle it for you, I want to read Ezekiel chapter 18. I believe it's verse 30. Look at this. It's verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not, listen, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. So this is not teaching that children get punished for their dad's sin. Okay. Well, what is it saying? This, this phrase, the visiting, visiting the iniquity, and that's God visiting in judgment on sin. God visiting the iniquity. It says it's on the third and fourth generation of who? Don't miss that phrase. Of those who hate me. It's on the third and fourth generation of those who hate God. So understand what, what the idea is here. This, this, is, this is the way I think you should understand it. If you make an image of God or, or misrepresent God in your life, if you do that, your children and your children's children will hate God and suffer for it. You feel that? So here's a summary. Take this command seriously. Why? Generations are at stake here. Generations that follow will be affected by your false worship or your misrepresentation of God. And they'll suffer for it. This is a big deal. Take it seriously. But I said there's also a sweet encouragement here. And I really think this is the main thing you're supposed to see don't miss the, the 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 contrast here right between three and four generations and a thousand generations did you see that he visits the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation it's three and four generations of those who hate me but then it says but the the loving kindness the steadfast love of god to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That contrast of a few, what God does with a few in judgment versus thousands in blessings and mercy is really the main point. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what's the summary here? Take this command seriously. Why? Because if you know God truly as He is, 
and represent him carefully, this says the steadfast love of the Lord will fall on countless generations of those who love him, those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, listen, don't make images. Think rightly about your God. Uh, represent him rightly. Understand him rightly. Worship him rightly. Why? It's going to affect generations for his namesake. Brothers and sisters, this should encourage us to take this very seriously. So let's, in, 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 in light of that, of wanting to take it very seriously, let's ask one more question. And it's this question. It's this question. What then is required of us from the second commandment? Okay? Not just what's forbidden. Okay, we've talked about that and why. But what's required of us in the second commandment here? Now, you remember Dustin taught us a couple weeks back the, when, you look at the, when you look at the law of God, you look at the Ten Commandments, you should think of the negative positive principle, right? You remember that a couple weeks back? The negative positive principle. An example is in Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal. Okay? That's, that's the negative. That's the forbidding. That's, the, that's in the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal, right? So let the thief no longer steal. That's the negative. But in the New Testament, he turns it to see the positive side of that. But let him labor Working with his hands was good that he may have something good to give those in need. In other words, don't steal. What's the positive side of that? Be generous. Don't steal. Be generous. You catch that? So, so as we look at this command, the second commandment, what's required of us? And I want us to look at some of the positive requirements that are flowing out of the second commandment. Positive requirements of us flowing out of the second commandment. I want to give you three of those in closing. Three requirements. Requirement number one, brothers and sisters, strive to view God rightly. Strive to view God rightly. In other words, don't, don't misrepresent him with images. That's the negative. Don't misrepresent him with images, but rather the positive, view him rightly. Strive to see God as he is. To accept an image of God, like they did with the golden calf, is to have a horribly insufficient view of who God truly is. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have a, a, a material, you know, physical material image that you set up that, that guides you on how you view God. But you certainly have some sort of image in your head about who God is. You have some sort of image in your mind. A.W. Tozer said this, and I think it's good. The most important thing about a man is what comes into his mind when he thinks of God. The most important thing about a man is what comes into his mind when he thinks about God. What image of God do you have? I want you to think rightly about it. This is a positive requirement here. What image of God do you have in your mind? I really want you to go with that, that question. You need to take it home and think, who, who is God to me? And, and, then, and then here's a follow-up. What's shaping that image? As I think about who God is, what is shaping the, the, the image, the way that I view the attributes and, and what He's like, who is? What's shaping that in my mind, in my heart? You, you need to think about that. 
So the negative is don't let it be images. Don't let it be these little images. That's not a good idea. But what should inform it? What should inform the way that you, that you view God? Should the world be shaping this image? What you watch, you know, what you hear? Should you just make it up as you go? You know, just whatever seems right to you, whatever feels right to you. And I think you know the answer to all this is, no, that this is not how we, we get the, the, the likeness of God shaped into our mind. I want to remind you of a few words this, or a phrase that Greg taught us about three weeks ago. Greg said this, God is not who you think he is. He's not who you think he is. God is who he says he is. That's coming out of Deuteronomy 4. When he came to you, he didn't come to you with a, you didn't see any form, but how did he reveal himself? He revealed himself through revelation of words. It's who he says he is. That's how you know who God is. Think about Deuteronomy 12. Remember that? You don't worship, don't worship like them. But, but, but how do I know how to worship God? How do I know what he's like? By the statutes, by the rules. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. What man on this planet has the clearest thoughts about who God is? And I don't know, but I'll bet he's saturated in the Bible. Just a Bible-saturated man. A major reason to, to saturate yourself in the Word of God is that you might know Him. Negative, not images, don't know Him that way, but strive to truly know Him through what He's given us in His Word. It's not who you think He is, it's who God says He is. Go to the Scriptures and be saturated in it, that you might know your God truly. It's a requirement of us coming out of this second commandment. So I want to challenge everybody here. What does that look like in your life right now? Are you a Bible-saturated man? Are you a Bible-saturated woman? Are you striving to know God more and more, not by your feelings, not by the world, and certainly not by images, but by what God has said in the Scriptures? Listen to me. Proverbs 19, 27. I've told you before, it's a promise that nobody wants to claim. Remember Proverbs 19, 27? It says, cease listening to instruction and you will stray from the words of knowledge. It's not I took a class on God and what He's like, and, and they, they used the Bible back then, so I know what He's like. No, it's a constant striving. Don't cease listening to what God says in His Word, or you will stray from the words of knowledge, but know Him in the Word of God. Not images, but, but through His Word. Not by sight, but by faith in His Word. We can know who God is and what he's like. So I want to challenge you to that. How's that looking in your life right now? And brothers and sisters, strive to know God truly through his word. Requirement number two. Worship God in the way he has directed. Worship God. We are called as the people of God to worship him in the way he has directed. So again, negative, positive. Don't don't worship him so negative. Don't worship him like the pagans with the images. Even if it's to the one true God, don't do it that way. Well, then how are we to worship him? In the way that he has directed, the way that he's commanded. Again, remember Deuteronomy 12. You, you shall not worship me in that way like those pagans. No, but how? The word of God, don't add to it, don't take away from it. As God has directed in his word. God's word is sufficient to guide us 
in corporate worship. God's word is sufficient to guide us. I have been around pastors and church planners and missionaries that would claim to believe that with their mouth, but by their actions, they don't show it. They're coming up with real good ideas on how to plant churches, how the church should gather together, what they should do when they gather, all kind of great creative ideas. And, I, and I'm, tell, I'm telling you, God's word is sufficient for that. We don't need creativity. We need the words of the living God to guide us in how to worship him. What do we do when we gather together for worship? We don't need new ideas. We don't need creative thinking. uh, Pastors are supposed to be leaders of this corporate worship time. Leaders of that. And notice in the requirements for being a pastor, being a creative man is not there. But it's a man that can rightly rightly divide the word of truth. They have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Just as we are not at liberty to decide who we should worship, commandment one, we're also not at liberty to decide how we should worship, commandment number two. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to bore you with this, but I want to read something to you from Fisher's Catechism. And Fisher's Catechism was really a, sort of an expanded version, uh, expanding on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so I want to read something to you because this, I'm, not just, I'm not alone in this, this idea of a positive requirement is, is, to, is to worship God, how he's directed, not the way we think is right or not the way the world's doing it. Listen, listen to this. This is from the Westminster. It says this, what is required in the second commandment? Here's the answer in the catechism. The second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. Did you understand that? That you got these ordinances and these worship when God comes together. He says it's required in the second commandment. Don't worship like the pagans, but keep that worship pure as is directed by God's word. Now, as as Fisher uh, expands on it, he says this. What is it to keep? What is it to keep the ordinances of God pure? What does it mean to keep the worship pure? Keep the ordinances pure? What does it mean? He says this. I love this phrase. It is to contribute our utmost endeavor to preserve them from all mixture of human invention. How do you keep that worship pure? Try, try to. to, to to your utmost endeavor, preserve that worship of the people of God from the mixture of human invention. Not interested in human invention, interested in what God has said. You get that? Now again, I want to just read this one more time. I know I keep referring to Deuteronomy 12, but it's so clear. Deuteronomy 12 verse 31. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way like the pagans. Not like that. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. The scripture is sufficient to tell us how to worship, how to worship our God. And we should take heed to it and not be inventive or creative. So Grace Community Church, your pastors are absolutely committed to what this what this catechism just said. We are committed to contribute our utmost endeavor not to be creative, not to be relevant in what we do as a church, 
but rather utmost endeavor to preserve our worship from all mixture of human invention. We want to encourage you to come and be, as I know many of you already are, be committed to that with us in light of the second commandment. Now, last, last requirement here. Requirement number three, positive requirement coming out of the second commandment. Requirement number three is this. Brothers and sisters, yearn to see God, but be patient. Yearn to see God, long to see God, but be patient. The fact that images of God are forbidden does not mean that it's wrong to want to see God. Or that God is absolutely against imaging himself. Okay? Now we can see this in Deuteronomy 4.15, right? That ban on, uh, the, the ban on don't make images because I didn't show myself in any form. That's not a ban on wanting to see God. Right? Because we can consider Moses, Exodus 33. Oh God, show me your glory. Let me see your glory. And then God shows himself to him. Or as we mentioned earlier, we can consider Psalm 17, David, as for me, I shall behold your face. It's not wrong to want to see God. I want to see you, Lord. I want to know you like that. The promise of Matthew 5, 8, at the pure in heart, they shall see God. The promise of Revelation 22, one day we shall see his face. We shall see his face. So it's not wrong to want to see God. We should yearn to want to see God. The second commandment doesn't forbid that. But it does remind us to be patient. To wait. To know what season you're in. To be patient. In other words, don't let this desire to see God cause you to erect a false image of God that you can see. Now, this has been done through making images, like they're being warned about in, in, in Israel. They did it in Israel. It's been done that way. It's happened through, you know, things you can see, false visions and false signs and false sightings, stuff that you see a lot in a lot of the charismatic movement of our day. Don't let this long. I want to see God, but, but know where you're at. Know what, know, know what season of the world, a season of life you're in. Don't let it cause you to erect false False images that you can see. I think we can learn from these men. And I just want to read this in closing. Three men to learn from. John chapter 20, verse 25, 29. We can learn from Thomas. Listen to this. Thomas says this. So the, the other disciples told Thomas, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands and the see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, he says. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, he said to him, have you believed 
because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Need to learn from that. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Peter said it like this, 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. Though you have not seen him, that's the season you're in. Long to see God, but be patient. Know where you're at right now. Listen, this is the season we're in. We don't live by sight, but by faith in the word of God. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now, now see him, you will, but now you don't now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Learn from Thomas, learn from Peter, and one more, learn from Paul. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says this, Now we see in a mirror dimly. Be patient, that's the, that's the season we're in. But then, in eternity, face to face. Now we see, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So now we see dimly. We want to know our God, but it's a, we got a dim side of Him. It's, it's like a mirror. You know, in a mirror, you're seeing the reflection. You don't see it face to face. It's not, you don't see the person. You see the reflection in the mirror. That's what we see right now dimly. That's this season. We should keep pressing in to know Him. Even though that's where we're at. We see Him dim. It's in the mirror. We see Him dimly. It's not face to face yet, but we press in. We want to know God by faith in His Word. That's what we press into now. To now, But one day it says here in this verse, face to face. But then we'll see Him face to face. The image of the invisible God. Don't accept lesser images now. Soon you'll see the image of God face to face. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and for this commandment. And I pray, God, that you would write that you would write it, Lord. Uh, write it on our hearts, God. Let it be deep within us, God, a desire to obey these commands and obey specifically this command. God, I pray that you would protect us in the way that we view you. Help us, God, by faith in your word to know you more deeply to see you more clearly. Help us, God, please. Make us a people that know our God. God, I pray that you would keep us from looking around at the world around us and desiring to be like them, even to worship like them. God, we want to worship as you, as you have designed in your word, as you called us to in your word. Help us to be faithful that, to that, Lord. We believe that your word is sufficient. Sufficient so that we might know you and sufficient that we might know how to worship you, Lord. So, God, I pray that you help us to take heed to it. Make us a Bible-saturated people, God, and please keep us, keep us from false images and keep us from misrepresentations in our own hearts and minds of who you are. We love you, Lord, and commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.